And now, the Sleephawk Worldwide Podcast. Here are your hosts, Brandon Staten and Tyler Hensbro. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sleephawk Worldwide Podcast. This is Sleep Dog, technical specialist with the Big Hulk. What's up, everybody? It's the Big Hulk. We got a couple great hosts, Elliot Sadler, Hermie Sadler, uh, two good friends of ours. But uh, it's going to be a great episode, and I'm really looking forward to it. True to form, as everybody knows by now, uh, we got the technical side of things. Just, I mean, absolutely locked down, guys. You can, you should see this place. A well-oiled that, machine. We, we are, are a well-orchestrated orchestra. <laughs> Tyler's eating a protein bar while he introduces himself. <laughs> Everybody's staring at me like I'm supposed to work at Best Buy or some shit. I don't know what I'm doing. But we do have Hermie Elliott with us. We just went just low at a golf tournament where are we at in south hill virginia appreciate the opportunity glad to be on the pod i want to take a quick second to uh thank brian and buck calhoun and his family for hosting this we're at south hill virginia at the south hill country club at the feet f-e-a-t which is families embracing autism together uh golf outing charity fundraiser appreciate you guys coming up and bringing the pod on the road we had a great time on the course with some shitty golf. We ended up uh, eight under. We only lost, I think, by ten strokes. So it was. I think we could say that was a success. So the cool thing about it is, is they brought their pod on the road, but obviously not the golf game. <laughs> left his golf game at home. <laughs> we need to have a camera so y'all can see Sleep's outfit. Yeah, I mean everybody's uh, everybody like knows. To thank Dick Sporting Goods. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, Dick Sporting Goods <laughs> got sponsored today. <laughs> I mean, I got uh, I got friend. Those of you not looking at home, I got uh, I got a Nike hat. I got a Nike shirt. I got some probably Nike pants on. Probably got Nike socks. I don't belt. know if it's Nike underwear. Got I got Nike belt. Golf the shoes. belt looks good. I match. When you got out of your car today, people looked over and said, "Holy, this guy! I know he can play." And he's I got a pickleball hat on. Yeah, <laughs> he I shows didn't. up at a golf tournament with a pickleball I, hat. Hey, uh, I was about to shave my mustache on the back nine just to really change the mojo. Ron uh, Jeremy, none of that shit worked. <laughs> but best shot of the day, in my opinion, came from me. We'll be sixty yards out. Yeah, yeah. I've been hitting. I mean, it doesn't matter. Go through the go through your wedge. When you go, go by, back, say, go back to what you said. You, you said, said hitting. I've been hitting. <laughs> Swinging. That's that's, that's a <laughs> yeah, lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, you buy you buy irons four through wedge. Every single one of them, I was hitting sideways. I mean, if that, that's swinging that's what we call sideways. a hosel rocket. Oh boy. Anyway, so uh, eventually, you know, you just uh, you just succumb to it. And uh, we were about sixty yards out, and I put it. Texas wedged it. You did. Hard to keep that face. To open. about four feet. To about four feet for a birdie. Your only contribution of the day. Uh, easily the only contribution of the day. But it was a blast. We appreciate you having us. We appreciate you sitting through. It was great, man. We had a good stuff. time. And um, yeah. and yeah. So you guys are two of the easily the most two famous people we've had on our pod so congratulations are we in the top five extraordinarily low bar uh three (laughs) yeah 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 so you're totally top five and uh you know one of the big things about this pod as you guys, man, we got ice machine. We got kids running upstairs. Pablo's got his work cut out for him. Sorry, buddy. But this is just how Sleephawk Worldwide rolls. We're in the gin rummy room at the South Hill Country this Club. This place, guys, I don't know if you've ever seen The Sopranos, but whoever produced it was inspired by this room. Mm-hmm. There's some shit goes down in here. <laughs> uh, I wish you could see it. But uh, but no, seriously, we want to get into you know uh, kind of your purpose here, inviting us with the tournament. You can, you can speak some more about what you got going on there. And honestly, this is going to be a lot of Q&A. 
Yeah. Because me and Tyler were talking before. Hey, Tyler, you watch much NASCAR? Nah, man. Do you? Nah, not really. But it's fascinating, man. And we, yeah. we, um, you know, obviously I have a lot of respect for you, Hermie, and, 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 and some of the things you've done and accomplished and helped us with. And this is the first time I've ever met you, Elliot, mm-hmm. man. Yep. This is you guys are awesome. It's like super fun to be down yeah. here and hang out. Gotta and, have a good time. Uh, absolutely. Well, one so. thing I would bring up, two two things I would bring up to your listeners at home uh, that kind of threw me off today. Uh, one, you you can take it because we rode you pretty hard. Today, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you were the mustache. But it was like, well deserved. You <laughs> the second thing is, is I actually had, after you hit your irons a couple times a day, on the third hole, I actually had to stop and ask them, what are y'all calling him? Because <laughs> your nickname is Sleep, and, and we've already covered why that. But I think it should have been Shank. Shank Dog. So I didn't Shank understand. Dog. Yeah. I, I was just making sure I had and the right And then later nickname. in the round, Elliot migrated to Sleepy. It's sleepy. A, yeah, it's a new era. Uh, if you play golf with me, you're going to get Sleepy because we're going to be putting a lot of steps in. It's going to take a lot. Of, damn, this this round, what time is it? Is 6.30. What time do we tee One. off? One. Five and a half hours. Ooh. It's a marathon, not a sprint, guys. Yeah. Big Hawk, you got something to say here. Yeah, I mean, it was an absolute marathon, but uh, no, thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, Hermie, this was for a great cause, and uh, me and Hermie, we go uh, way back when I first got drafted by Indy, and uh, it was... Uh, Can we tell the story about our first night together? <laughs> I think you tell the story great. Yeah. Go if you want to tell a story. Tell yeah, the story. Well, you know, uh, for, I'll say it one more time. Thank you guys for coming up. I have a daughter. My middle daughter Haley uh, has autism, and Brian Calhoun has a son with autism. So we've got a bond. I always try to help these people out up here. So you know, Elliot and I. I went to school at UNC. Graduated in '91. That's probably when you were still in diapers. Um, at Cora, as you know, Cora graduated a couple of years ago. She cheered at UNC. But I have a lot of people that know we hang out now ask me a lot, you know, how long have you known Tyler? You know, And while you played at UNC, Elliot and I, in those days, when I was doing TV and he was racing full-time, we could afford baseline seats. So we sat right under the baseline for all four years that you played. And I was there the day that jerk hit you in the nose. I yeah. wanted to come mm-hmm. off him. Of, okay, go back to your story. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but to be honest, I knew some of the other guys on the team but never really knew you uh, – at all until you graduated and you got drafted by the Pacers. And then the, I think the day that we landed in Indy, maybe Wednesday or Thursday of race week, a mutual friend that we have that's also a mutual a friend of Coach Williams named Hunter Morin, dear friend of mine and Elliot's from up in Fredericksburg, great Tar Heel, calls and says, Hey, you guys in Indy? Yes. You know, well, Tyler's there and he just got there and he just, you know, showed it. And I think you were the grand marshal for the race that weekend. Uh huh. So uh, he says, I'm going to connect y'all so y'all can hang out. So I'm thinking, okay. And uh, so we talked that afternoon and I'm thinking, he ain't going to want to hang out with us. But sure enough, I guess you must have had a slow night, nothing planned. I remember we met at, we picked you up at a hotel. You were in some five star hotel in Indy. And we went to St. Elmo's Steakhouse to eat first. And then we went to uh, Blake Shelton and George Strait concert mm-hmm. at the fairgrounds or some damn where. And then uh, Elliot may want to add on this story. I know you want to talk about Brett 
Elliot's business manager, his driving ability <laughs> on the way to the concert. <laughs> this guy, I mean, crazy. I don't think he went below 80. Yeah. And uh, I was like, damn, these NASCAR drive, drivers, they take this serious. <laughs> I mean, he was, I thought I was in the race. Yeah, I was all over, and I don't do well in cars anyways. Mm. And uh, it was stop, go, uh, like a New York taxi driver. But uh, We went in a hurry. Oh, yeah. But the funny, we, had, we went up to Blake's bus, had a few adult beverages, and went to the concert. But the funniest thing about the whole night, we get back into town, and your brother Ben was in town and mm-hmm. met us, and so it's after midnight, so we're going bar, bar hopping in Indy, and but the third or fourth place we went, man, the line was around the building, but Tyler's, you know, new big man in town, so we don't wait in any lines, you know, we go right to the front, go into this back little room, and I'm not sure what you call it, but everybody was drinking you take a beer and then you put a, a glass, a shot of tequila and drop it into the beer. We called that a Poplar Bluff. That's Poplar my hometown. Bluff. That's yep. what we were doing. Didn't sit too well with me. <laughs> but <laughs> so everybody's coming up, you know, trying to be nice and talking. And after a while, I think Tyler got tired of people, you know, hey, we just want to have fun and drink. So this cute little girl, well, she, looked, she was cute then, at two o'clock in the morning. She says, and I couldn't hear the whole conversation, but she says, Hey, I'm so and so and so and so. I work for the Pacers. And Tyler's like, I could hear, get the hell out of here. You don't work for the Pacers. And she said, Oh, no, no, I'm so and so and so. Tyler said, shoot, shoot her like a fly, pretty much. So I didn't think much else of it. But the next afternoon, we hooked up again. And first thing Tyler says when I saw him, he says, Dude, I says, What? He says, she works for the Pacers. <laughs> I remember, she was the first person I saw when I walked in the, in the building the next day, and I just started dying. She handled it well. She's very nice. Yeah. Of course, we. It's a great story that we laughed about. But uh, no, that was a great time. I didn't know. Night. I didn't know Hermie and Elliot, but uh, I remember uh, who's this guy. So we come and we hang out. And next thing you know, we're on Blake Shelton's uh, bus. tour bus. And then all of a sudden we're watching George Strait perform. Yeah, it was a it was a hell of a weekend, and uh, it's it's been great getting to know Hermie and uh, Elliot a little bit uh, ever since. And uh, I do I used to pull for Elliot hard uh, because of Hermie's connection, but uh, yeah, that was good. Elliot, what are you up to now? I know you do a lot for the kids in Emporia. So, dude, I'm retired now from you know from racing and. Um, part of a travel ball organization now where we're helping kids, over about 300 kids now in our organization with boys and girls who do baseball, we do softball, we do some gymnastic stuff. So I love being that coach. My my dad was a coach as I came along. You know, Hermie's done a lot of coaching in his lifetime, and it's something I've always done on the back burner with camps and things like that while I was racing. But the day I retired or knew I needed to retire to, to kind of move back home, be around my you know wife and kids and family, this is a way that I can stay competitive. You and I have talked about mm-hmm. that a little bit today about having that competitive spirit and that competitive juices flowing. You know, I'm too old now to to race and, and you know, and be in the middle of it all the time, but I can still get my juices flowing being a coach, coaching from the you know, sidelines, living through my kids and watching them perform, you know, on and off the field all the time. So I thoroughly enjoy being a, you know, 24-hour, seven days a week coach right now and trying to give these kids a platform to – um, to excel at and, and hopefully give them opportunity to make it to the next level if we can do that. Yeah. It's called uh, Top Hand. Top Hand Foundation right there in Emporia. It's a great thing for our community too. Yeah. yeah. Doing a lot of good things for a lot of good kids. A lot of kids that really need help staying on track and need to be supported by, you know, adult figures and coaches and things. And they're doing a, a great 
a great service to a lot of families in our community. And it's cool. I want to, you know, you're talking about a Q&A, right? So, you know, Hermie and I used to come watch you play at Carolina mm-hmm. all the time. And we, we've been around professional sports and college sports. But I'm trying to teach kids now in high school. It's not always the physical side. It's, you know, a lot of us, the mental side. Mm-hmm. You know, do you believe in yourself and how much do you really want? You know, everybody says they want to do the next level of play. But I don't think a lot of them really understand how much work really goes into it. So if you had any advice at all to give the high school kids come along, whether they want to go basketball, volleyball, baseball, whatever, what, what do you tell them from a mental side, how much they have to buy into it to, to make it, how hard it is? And we've talked about this on the pod, and I tell people the hardest thing in sport, and it's all universal, is the mental side of the game. And it's taking – it's having courage to what you work on bringing it to the game. It's the ability, if you work on a, let's just say, this is an example, a a corner three-point shot, the ability to miss that three times in a row and then take it again because you put that work in. Uh, But the mental side, to me, um, you know, it's such a a broad and tough uh, dynamic because a lot of kids, they ask me, what's Kobe Bryant do? And I said, listen, you're young, okay? The things that Kobe does right now, what he did when he was in the NBA, is so beyond what you can do because you haven't mastered the fundamentals. You've got to start from somewhere, and you've got to earn everything. You've got to, you've got to master the fundamentals, and you've got to put the work in, and uh, you've got to build that foundation at whatever it is and earn everything. And I think a lot of kids now, as they see the NBA players, they want to be like that, but they don't want to put the work in. They want to bypass such a big stage. They, I want to be the best player in the country. Well, you're not the best player in your state. So uh, I always tell kids, if you, if you stay focused and you stay in your area and you keep doing the right things and working hard, all that's going to pay off. I remember we were at, and Tyler may not even remember the impact he had, but maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, we you were having dinner with Naomi, my youngest daughter and I at Outback there and right outside of Chapel Hill. And we were talking about sports and, you know, Naomi was a, maybe a junior in high school at the time and was, was trying to, you know, prepare herself to try to play college, you know, college softball, which she's at Randolph making now, but just in a general conversation, I'm not sure if Naomi asked or I asked about Tyler says, well, how often do you work out? And Tyler said every day. Naomi said, every day? He said, yeah, every day. You know, it may be cardio or it may be weights or it may be shooting in the gym, but some form of every day. And Naomi, it's like blew her mind Mm -hmm. that somebody, you know, that it would would take that much work every day to be the greatest. And so that, that, you know, you just said what your life is about. But to her, it was like, whoa, that – say something that to separate yourself or to try to get to that next level, it takes it something every day. And you know, it's funny about that. It's one of the reasons I retired. I didn't want to do it anymore every day back, you know, when I was running a cup series running. And then when I was in the next, the Xfinity series racing for Dale jr. When I was in my prime, you know, we were at the racetrack every Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, where every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I was, I have a workout gym in my house. I was doing some cardio. I was weightlifting. I was studying film, watching old races, going through engineering notes to figure out what we're going to do as far as making race cars better and, and this, that, and the other. 
when it got to the point in the last year, I was like, I don't feel like doing it anymore. So then I knew then I didn't have in here that heart to keep going, keep going. So it wasn't right to do it. Because if I didn't do it 100%, I didn't want to do it half-ass. You know, and so it, it's funny how mentally you know to be there, you have got to be there, make it happen. And guys, I'm sorry, we should have let you know. We got this one fan, Cam. He's always trying to call in, and we can't ever get him, you know, on the line. So we don't want to let him interrupt. I know you heard a phone ring, didn't mean it's Cam, man. Come on, buddy. We're we're, we're trying to run an interview. So that here. one stalker That's fan, y'all got man. I tell you what, he is a stage quarterback, five Cam Sex, and former guy UNC <laughs> man. I'm telling you, man, this guy loves this show so much, and yeah. he's always trying to be in here. Um, <laughs> as is usually the case, right? Yeah. I am actually. I literally have thought to every guest that we've had, and this I can unequivocally say believe it or not despite my performance out there i'm the least athletic guy on the podcast in the history of the podcast we wouldn't have never guessed that. <laughs> i know i mean i'm telling you man i know it's, it's just electric when i turn it on out there yeah, yeah. but you you guys brought up uh you know something really interesting about you know what you tell kids and, and what they get out of sports i played baseball uh you know all as a kid up and through high school and into junior college and i had and we talked a little bit about this tyler and i with some other folks about you know that realization that at some point youth athletics is you got to have, right? Which is that you're not, the, the outcome is unlikely that you're going to achieve your dream, right? And so that's a huge disappointment for, for people. And I think they have this false, you know, sense of, of, of expectations, but I'm kind of live, living proof, man. Like I played baseball all as a kid. I mean, summer leagues, just hundreds of games. When I'm in high school, you know, you're playing hundred games a year. You go play in junior college. Everybody on our junior college team thought that they could really go professional. None of us had a chance. And every single one of us thought that it was, if you ever watched this like last chance you and stuff like that was my experience in college. But I look back on it and like, man, it molded me for life in so many ways, right? Like, like jobs and dealing with, you know, you had coaches maybe you didn't like, or it's simple things like a call you didn't like, right? It helps you deal with this sort of adversity. And I, I remember one of the, this is how I know I'm getting old is, is the first year I ever played uh, T-ball. I was six years old. And we kept score, and we, there was a winner and a loser. And I don't have kids, but now I understand, like, in those games, you know, everybody bats, everybody runs a field, everybody plays and all that. And listen, man, there, I, I, I appreciate in some regard the evolution of the, the, the thought process that kids are, you know, sort of, um, you know, their mental fortitude is still growing, right? But I look back at that, and it, like, taught me, uh, you know, to be competitive and to, you know, there, there, there are things in, in life that you just don't like, man. You lose and kids cry, right? Yeah. But now everybody plays and that sort of thing. And so I still think that, that um, you know, I think people, it's important for these kids, I think, as they get prepared for, they'll listen to you guys, right? They're not going to listen to me. Yeah. But my experience is the one that they're most likely Well, I can tell have. you, and Elliot probably chime in on this too, like, our dad is – Ultra, ultra competitive on everything. Going back to T-ball, going back to minor league. I remember going to watch Elliot play. I was like one league ahead of him. Elliot's and my dad's coaching him minor league, and he'd send guys to the plate and say, "Get up beside the plate and lean into the ball and let it hit you. We need you on base. We got to win this game." Mm-hmm. You know. And today, you just don't have that as much. But my dad, he never let us think about. Anything other than winning. I mean, he he was he pushed us, you know, to – and I guess you can look at that, ever, you know, ever how you want to, but we grew up in a house where my dad is like, it don't matter what you're playing, if it's a sport, if it's a business, or if it's a – whatever it is, we want to win. Yeah. And, you know, you we uh, – so a lot of that um, 
carry, you know, carries on through that. But that, but that was a mentality we grew up around. And I, I tell you what I've learned being a coach, you can't coach every kid the same. Some kids mm-hmm. that have a really good, strong home life, you might can push them a little more into that. But we have, we have a lot of kids that are going through a lot at home, especially with virtual learning and stuff yeah. now. And they're at home by themselves all day. You can't bring them in the facility at night or on the field and just be pushing them, pushing them, pushing them. They're going to break. And I've seen that a lot. I, it's really – it's been tough on me in the last year to see some of these kids that are on the line of making something of their self or maybe going mm-hmm. down the wrong path because there's so many bad influences we know as teenagers nowadays and in uh, poverty-stricken areas that, that that we live in that you want to be such a strong asset for, for them to lean on. But with this virtual learning and the whole COVID and everything's going on, it's so hard to push that kid. So we're kind of having to pick and choose. And as a coach, a mentor, you're trying to figure out which buttons to push to get these kids believing in their self and self-morale and self-esteem and all these things. Man, it's hard. It, it, it's tough. And there's so many other factors now that kids have access through their phone that, that makes it tough. And that's a great point because Coach Williams used to say, I don't coach every kid the same. Mm-hmm. I may have to coach somebody just a little bit different. But one thing I like is uh, how passionate you are about coaching the kids. Mm-hmm. And the, the dynamic that I like is you being a former athlete is, you know, I was asked one time by the current guys, they're like, hey, man, what's the key to, you know, staying healthy, you know, getting kind of older? And in my mind, I was like, there is no seek. There is no shortcut. It's This is every day. This is every day putting in the work mm-hmm. and going in there when you don't want to, taking care of your body. And I know that you know what it takes to get at that end game, to get to the big stage and all the steps you have to take. Do you find yourself, you know, are you harder on the kids from that aspect because you know how hard you work and you know what it takes to get to that level? Yes. Um, I'm harder on the older kids. These 14, 15, 16-year-old kids that say they want to make it to the next level, but they don't put in the work. We were just talking about mm-hmm. it. Um, so I'm harder on them because I'm like, hey, I have a pedigree. I have. I was a professional athlete for 27 years. Damn it, this is what it takes. You over there goofing off and not listening and not taking it serious, or I can tell you're not doing reps at home or on your own. You know, you can't, t- you can't fool me. And if your mom and dad have to come in here and tell me that, uh, why aren't they playing or they have to tell me why you're doing or not doing things. That's telling me right now, you don't have it. You should want to come to me and go, Hey, this is what I got to work on. Or what do I need to work on? What do I need to do to get better? So I am, and I try to separate the kids. All right, guys, who wants to make it to the next level? And they, okay, I'm talking to you now, you know, who's here just to have fun and socialize. Okay. We'll, we'll talk to you in, in a different kind of limelight, but I do use that a lot. And I think it, uh, gives me a leg to stand on with a lot of the parents in our area. I think that's why we have, we've been as successful as we have as far as getting good kids to come play. Cause we are upfront and honest with them. Hey, if you want to make it, dude, hey, this, you know, you know what to tell them from basketball. Hey, this is what it's going to take. Nobody gave you anything, right? If not, then maybe we're harder on you sometimes, you know, and I've been in that same boat. So look, you, you've got to stand up for yourself and make something for yourself, but don't think nobody's going to give it to you at all. Hey, I got a, a, chime in one second you mentioned coach williams briefly and i had the privilege you know one night last week to be at your place when marcus ginyard was there and y'all did a a podcast and talking about it and i know a little bit about this because you and i've had these conversations but 
Coach Williams, you know, obviously retired, Hubert Davis with the program. But I, I was watching y'all the other night, and I know you and Marcus played together, and y'all are really close. And y'all were going along having a conversation. And when you asked Marcus Ginyard about the influence that Coach Williams had on him, I thought he was going to cry. He, he, like, he, he paused like it took the breath out of him to compose himself to, to, yeah. to give, give the answer. So I'd like for you to talk about that. If you don't mind, I'll turn the table on you. But also, you know, what did Coach Williams mean to you? And, and talk a little bit about his, you know, retirement. And, but, but I know he's been important to you as well. Yeah, I mean, me and Coach Williams, he is uh, somebody who I talk to as, you know, any big decision, I always feel like I get an honest answer, like mm-hmm. you're talking mm-hmm. about, Elliot, is you got to be honest with the kids. Even like that is Coach Williams, like that is one of his big points is, hey, you may not like what I what I tell you, but it's it's the honest truth, and you know you're going to get the honesty from me. Mm-hmm. So first of all, uh, that's something that I've always respected Coach Williams uh, about, but also the most important thing, that Coach Williams has done for me is he was an example of somebody who showed up to work every single day and put in the work. Like when he when we had his practice, it was down to the minute. We're going to do this at this minute. Then we're going to move on. Very efficient. And he came to work. And uh, I could say in, during my four years, I don't think Coach Williams ever took uh, a day for granted. He always made the most of that day. Mm-hmm. And so when I look back, and, uh, you know, you, you know how important it is, um, you know, when you're, when you're working on something just a little bit better, that's a huge thing. Nobody just goes asleep. Then all of a sudden they wake up They're Oh, it's, they're a different person. They're more athletic. They can shoot the three ball. They can dunk. They have this and that. It takes a little bit every day. And so, uh, watching coach Williams approach that, it showed me, you know, how much work it takes to get to his level and how much it meant to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Elliot, back to your point, I mean, you know, some of these kids, they have high hopes, but their work ethic doesn't really match it. Doesn't and I think that's it. something like with the social media that's going on is, you know, a lot of these NBA players, you see these highlights, but you don't see the process it takes to get those highlights. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, fun, it's funny that you're, you're talking about that. To, to put this in a racing format, I was hired like 2014 to go to Roush to mentor a kid they were bringing along. Well, after a couple months, I went to the owner and said, he ain't going to make it. Every mean in, he doesn't care. He's on his phone. He's not adding to the conversation. Like, he's not physically and mentally trying to get better. I get it. He's probably got a lot of raw talent. But everybody at this stage has raw talent. It's what are you going to do with it, just like in the line of work you're in. So I kept telling him, he's not going to make it. And still to this day, he still has a ride. He's still driving, but he rides around in the back. Now, fast forward, when I was at Junior Motorsports, they sat me down and said, and I'll mention this kid's name, we have a kid coming in named William Byron, and we really believe in him. We want you to mentor him. He was sitting by my lap every plane ride we were on, every meeting we were in, asking questions, trying to get better like he was a sponge. Mm -hmm. So I told him, I said, he's going to make it. Like he's got the work ethic and the mental part. To make it. So it was neat to kind of see early on some of these kids. You're like, he's taking this for granted. He's taking this whole chance for granted. He has not put in the work and it's going to, it's going to bite him in the butt. And you got other kids coming in that are really on the edge. Kyle Larson's another one. They really come in and work so hard and it pays off on them. It's just neat to see him putting that work ethic in. Yeah. One of the, uh, 
guys that reminds me of most in UNC is, is Luke May recently, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. he's the kind of guy that probably didn't have Tyler Hansborough talent, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'll tell you, as a fan early on, you're sort of like, gosh, like this guy, and then a little better. And then next junior year, you're like, damn, like, and then senior year, you're like, dude, this is the guy, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the hard work can, and I even saw it at a lower level when I played in, in whatever, high school or, or anything, where you got a guy that just, that just works, right? And the, the work is always, you in can my think opinion. about, because this is a, I love this subject because I, uh, friends with the family, you know, his dad, Mark, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, went to school a lot long the same period. I, and I've been friends with his dad, you know, for years. Yep. And you can just look at Luke. And I know Tyler thinks a lot of Luke as mm-hmm. well, just from, mm-hmm. you know, conversations. He, like, he's one of the last of that tough, yeah. tough Tar Heel that we yeah. need. But you can just look at Luke. You look back through the years, just look at his body. I mean, you could tell that, mm-hmm. you know, the sh- we all heard the stories about shooting late at night, and but trans- the transformation he made with his body, mm-hmm. he wasn't the best athlete, mm-hmm. couldn't jump the highest and mm-hmm. couldn't run the fastest, but mm-hmm. he worked on his body, got the most out of it. He had a nose for the ball, was always around it, always making the little tip, you know, getting that little play, getting the re- offensive rebound, whatever the case may be. And he's one of these guys, in my opinion, because he was a borderline as to – you know, and Mark May told me this. If it really, if it wasn't for Hubert Davis, who's the head coach now, Luke never may never have even got an opportunity to put on a UNC uniform and left because of some big shots he made mm-hmm. and, you know, fan favorite and all that is one of the, at least one of the favorite Tar Heels of the last, you know, 15 years. So I appreciated him because I knew kind of the family dynamic and how hard he put in that work to, to take advantage of that opportunity because that's all he. He wasn't highly recruited and didn't start with a big scholarship, and but found when he hit every time they put him in the game, he he did something. Yeah, and uh, he and won the fans over as well. Yeah, that's great. And it's funny you mentioned the the parents and the youth dynamic. You know, uh, for those listening, yeah, I'm, I'm I. Uh, Herm and I were at the last football game, UVA game. That's the yeah. first time I'd ever met Mr. May. Yeah. Just stopped by. Great, great guy. Men- I said hello for 30 seconds. Yeah. And, and, and in that 30 seconds, I could see, you know, their whole family is like nice that. Guy just, is. just down home country. Yeah. Yeah, country yeah, welcoming yeah, type yeah. people. They really and you are. get run into that. One of the biggest struggles that you see, especially in the in the youth sports, is the parents. Yeah, yeah. we talked to Bobby Fraser about it, who's coaching up in, in in Chicago now in high school. One of the things my dad did when I was a kid was I, I turned about ten or eleven, and he said, "Listen, man, you're on your own now. I'm not coaching your teams anymore." And I loved my dad coaching my teams, mm-hmm. but he was like, "Man, you know, you see the politics. You see, and there's nothing wrong with dads coaching their kids, mm-hmm. but that was my dad's way of dealing with it. Was like, listen, man, like you're gonna have to just, you know, make your own way because I don't want anybody telling you, you got anything because I was a coach and yada yada yada. And I don't want you get anything because mm-hmm. I was a coach. And you see parents that are super irrational, and that's unfortunate. But I do think, you know, we had a lot of conversations about the current state of affairs on many things, uh, you know, today on the course. And sports is still one of those things that 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 Sp- remains. But constant, by the way. You know? Every podcast I've listened to, y'all started up with a recap of the Tar Heel football games, and we just glossed right over that stomping we put on UVA. So why can't we talk about that? Well, we can't, and and I think we should. And I mean, as we you know discuss, maybe y'all covered well, that with Marcus. I'm not sure. Well, we did a little bit, but I mean, well, we can never. Yeah, we can never go too far. Um, uh, and 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 rejoicing over UNC win, especially out of the first half when I thought I was going to have an aneurysm. Now, <laughs> here's the lead pipe block. Okay. For this week? 
for this week. Lead pipe lock. 100%. Is, it, is that sponsored? It isn't, but a we need to get a sponsor. <laughs> the old slip in. Slip in food mart. <laughs> slip into the There's going to be the new sponsor of the lead pipe lock. Get your laboratory with the lead pipe lock. <laughs> get your slip in <laughs> with uh, this pick on it. Georgia Tech will cover against the Tar Heels. You know why I'm saying that? I know you're looking. everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy Wait a minute, now. you say North Carolina will cover or Georgia no, Tech will No, I said Georgia cover. Tech will cover the spread. North Carolina well, will Well, you changed cover. your mind since we own the golf course. No, there's something you don't know, loyal listener. Dude, if we predict it, it won't happen. Oh. Oh. So. Reverse psychology. So, so are we fading the, broad, uh, the podcast then? Do we need to fade this pick? <laughs> Is that what we need to do? <laughs> Does that mean like take it out? I don't even that know means that go means. opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Fade it. Fade it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like that, those hostile rockets you were shooting <laughs> today. Oh, they're not really not a fade. That was more of a... <laughs> you would think I know a little bit about that was fade. That misdirection. Yeah, misdirection. So, so yeah. fade it. But, man, I, t- I swear to you, man, we... Uh, so, funny backstory. We got a buddy that, uh, man, we love dearly, and we he was like... He kept texting us these, like, random picks. And, I mean, we, we, we don't bet really that much on stuff. And even if we do, it's, what, like five bucks, right? And, and our buddy Sheed, man, he would be like, take – what was the – he picked this one game, and I'm talking – it was like Louisville basketball against Shamanon or something. This is last season. And, dude, it, Louisville was favored – Western Kentucky. Louisville was favored, like we were talking about earlier, by like 36. Yeah. <laughs> Sheed's – out of nowhere. Nobody asked him. In the group text, Louisville, lock, blah, blah, blah. Louis, I mean, I think Louisville won, but, dude, it was not even – he didn't even come close to covering yeah. And so – we came up with this, and we're like, let's let Sheed get on and do, you know, uh, uh, picks. And, dude, he – So people can go the other way. Yeah, and at first, he's just, man, you talk about – well, he's faded in different reasons. But, you know, dude, he come on and just absolutely hammer home what he thought was a pick, and it never, never was mm-hmm. right until he came on about uh, Miami, and it was like prophecy. We played Miami in football last year. And literally, you'd have thought he was like Kirk Herbstreit, Lee Corso wrapped in a right. He's like, we're going to run the ball right up the blah, blah, blah. And dude, we ran for like 700 yards and beat yeah. the hell out of him. And then he just was, you know, on cloud nine. Told you. Yeah. Ain't got one right since. So <laughs> he, 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 he probably read an article and just repeated yeah. it to us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hermie, I know you got a race coming up. I do. How are you feeling? You've been working? Not worth a damn. <laughs> and I have not been working out. But and, you, uh, you well, have quit drinking soft drinks. You said you quit I've, drinking I've, soft I, drinks. I have lost about 15 pounds. I need to, to do a few more. Just uh, Elliot and I have a wonderful friend, uh, Mike Anderson, the family physician. Um, but last time I went to him, he already had me on cholesterol medicine. And he said, dude, your blood pressure is getting where if you don't do something about it, that's going to be medication and your sugar. We have a history of blood sugar in our in our family. And I need I need to take better care. Well, see, if I don't take my medicine, it affects you. That's right. So <laughs> I need to uh, take better care of myself. So I've been trying. I've been getting up every morning. I get up every morning now around seven o'clock mm-hmm. and walk for two and a half miles and trying to walk. Just trying walk to walk or like a light jog. Walk. Okay. There's no like light the jog whole time. Here. Are you stopping? No, I, dude, I'm serious. <laughs> no, I, I know you are. We talked about it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I asked him if you'd lost some weight because yeah, it yeah. looked like you'd. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've lost. I need to do some more. Can you explain to the listeners at home how small the area is that you have to fit into to drive the modified? Yeah, so to answer your question, I'm going to run a – I've never driven an open-wheel modified. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't want to get – we don't have time to get into all this. But I, I am actually suing the governor of the state of Virginia and the attorney general – 
Um, and the lawyer that's representing me is a state senator from Franklin County. His name is Bill Stanley. He is sponsoring this modified race at new, uh, it's called Motor Mile Speedway now, up in Pulaski, uh, Virginia. Right beside Radford University. Yeah, up near Radford. And me and him were at his condo a couple of weeks ago doing a planning session for this lawsuit. And we had started to have a cocktail or two. And he came up with this great idea. He says, I'm sponsoring this race, and you're going to drive in it. I'm like, what? He says, I'm sponsoring this modified race at Motor Mile, and buddy, me and you are together. You're driving this race. Go find you a car. I'm sponsoring it. Mm -hmm. So I did. Um, so a, a mutual friend of Elliot and I's, Chris Williams, uh, who uh, was probably helped with Dale Earnhardt, probably revolutionized the merchandise business in all of NASCAR. Dale's probably no telling his best friend. The millions of dollars they did, which we'll talk about Chris again in a minute. But So Chris is managing this tour, the Smart Modified Tour. So I called Chris. He connected me with a guy in Charlotte. I went down early this week. But what Elliot's trying to get you to, to ask me about, the window opening to get in this car is 12 inches. I know you, you think 12 inches is really big sleep, but yeah. you – Got your girlfriend convinced, but 12 inches is, is 12 inches. I'm on the metric system. <laughs> That's right. So I went down the other day, you know, to, um, you know, I didn't think of that as being one of my real issues, but it, it, it is, it is like putting something really big into something really small. Can I say that on this show? Um, well, you can. Well, say, we're used to putting things. <laughs> we're really used to putting something really small. And well, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah you can. Say so anyway, that. I, it is, going, I had to suck it in, and and uh, it is it is dangerous for me uh, with different parts of my body getting in and out of that car. It's a slow process. So I told him, you know, we're going to test next Tuesday, and I said, if I ever get in here and get my seat belts done, I'm just going to sit in here. You had to bring me my food, drink, everything. I'm <laughs> not jaws trying to, alive to get you home. I'm not yeah. not trying to get out, but I'm looking forward to it. So those that are, that are tuning in, that are that are race fans, hadn't driven any a race car in several years, but have never driven an open wheel modified. But you know, uh, Bobby Labonte, a friend of mine, is doing it. I talked to him a little bit about it, and I've been watching videos of some of these <laughs> guys racing. So we're going to go test on Tuesday and race next Saturday night, October the second. Uh, at Motor Mile up in uh, Pulaski, Virginia. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, really uh, hoping to have a good, safe race and have some fun. It's 99 laps. So hopefully we have enough cautions in there so I can get a breath. Get a breath. Yeah. <laughs> to, to relax and do all that. But it, it's it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm going to make it fun. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to go run well, hope we win, but. I'm not going to get paid any more or any less, you know, by how we finish. Uh, but I'm going to go do it and have a good time, spread some awareness about the small businesses in Virginia that we're fighting for in this little litigation we got going on and make it a fun night. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see how you do. And, no, uh, you're not. No, I want you to win. Oh, you do? Okay. Hey, yeah. Is it what? televised? Do they any yeah, kind of TV? Speed 51 televised. Okay. It. Speed yeah. 51. All right. Well, we'll be we'll we'll put it on the pod. Yeah. We'll, we we got we'll put we, it on our, our uh, Instagram page. I'll let you know when the race is over if it's if y'all can talk about it or not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you did mention uh Dell Earnhardt in there. Yeah. And is that something some somebody you two grew up and kind of was like a role model to you guys cuz so look, I uh, we grew up. Our dad was a Chevrolet dealer, so Dale Earnhardt drove the Goodwrench Chevrolet car. So of course we pulled for Dale Earnhardt. 
So, which was neat. And then when I start racing late models, Dale Jr. and I are the same age. We actually start racing late models against each other. And then when we start racing Xfinity cars, we start racing against each other. So we became really close friends. I had moved to Charlotte and he had got, he and I had gotten to be where we did a lot of stuff together. So one of the coolest times of my life, it's funny how paths cross sometimes. Here I am, a huge Earnhardt fan, grew up an Earnhardt fan, and I'd hang out at Dale Jr.'s house. Well, Senior would come by and be like, hey, Ellie, you want to ride with me? We're going to go ride and look at some deer. He had uh, a high fence behind his house. So we'd ride around in his truck, just he and I. Dale Jr. didn't like hunting at that time. And I'd ride around with his dad, and we'd mix a drink and ride around looking at deer and just talking about hunting and life and all of that was some of the neatest times of my life. He was a great guy. A great, he was just as big a man off the track as he was I, on. I, I told Tyler the other day, we were talking about it. I said, Dale Sr. had kind of like, you know, you and I also grew up wrestling fans. I said, but Dale Sr. had the deal where he was nice and welcoming and friendly. But when he walked into the racetrack, he had the Wrangler jeans, the boots, the shirt, and the gargoyle glasses mm -hmm. and the mustache, and he was the intimidator. And he definitely used that to his advantage. Just on the like track. your mustache. Do I look intimidating, Kern? <laughs> no. I, you look. Um, you should have wore all black. I should have wore all black. That would have been the difference. I used to have a Camaro, too. But he, uh, he, uh, he kind of had that mystique about him. But those that were fortunate enough to be kind of close to him off the track yeah. knew that he had kind of a soft side, mm -hmm. a, you know, nice side. And, but he and Chris. Uh, Chris Williams, you know, friends of mine and Elliot's, I mean, they went on hunt trips together all back in the day. And Chris, you know, he knows more about Dale Earnhardt probably than anybody alive. And he was, he was telling us the other day, the, the, the weekend after Dale got killed at Daytona, Chris was in charge of all Dale's souvenir trucks. And he was not able to, or didn't want to, or didn't, didn't never talk to, Dale's wife or anybody with within the family to try to find out, you know, after Daytona, Dale's wreck, the following week was Rockingham. Chris said he he never talked to Teresa, Dale's wife at the time, or anybody. He he didn't even know if they wanted to take the souvenir rigs to Rockingham the following week. So he says, I know what Dale want me to do. So they used to carry one souvenir rig. They carried eight to Daytona, one to Rockingham. Wow. Because of just a smaller venue, not as many people, all that. But Chris said, I got a hunch of what this weekend is going to be like. They took all eight souvenir trailers, and he had them parked. He had to park like on Wednesday. He had them parked before they ever went to the funeral. So Chris was telling us the trucks were already parked at Rockingham. Chris goes to the funeral. They take him in there with the family. And he says, Teresa brought it up like, Chris... I know it's probably too late to get anything done for Rockingham. And Chris said, the trucks are parked. They're already there. I just need permission from you to open them up if you want us to sell. He said an average Rockingham weekend for them prior to Dale's death was about $250,000. They did $8 million wow. in merchandise sales at Rockingham the week after Dale's death. And he told me the numbers they did the whole year, but... They uh he revolutionized the merchandise business in NASCAR. Well, he just carried the whole sport. I mean, he was the face of our sport for a long time. And me being good, such good friends with Dale Jr. When when his dad passed away, 
we all turned and looked at him. Mm-hmm. Now he was the Earnhardt. And he was young. He didn't want to be that guy. So the whole sport turned to Dale Jr. and like, now it's all on your shoulders. And he had a really hard time with that for a while. He did not want to be in his dad's footsteps. Made him footsteps. very uncomfortable, didn't it? Made him very uncomfortable. He, he didn't, didn't want to be interviewed. Like, he felt like – he kind of felt like – I did TV some, you know, those days too. It's like he wanted – if you interviewing him about running good, that was one thing. But he didn't want the attention just because of his last name. And he shied away from that. And it was awkward for him, and it was kind of strange. Yeah, it, it was it was tough for him during that time. And uh, another story, too. So his dad passed away in February in the Daytona 500. So we have to go back there in July. So about a month before we go back in July, Dale Jr. comes to me and says, I want to go down early. We're going to go down a week early. I'm taking two of my best friends. You grab a friend or two. I'm renting a house. He wanted to go back to Daytona before everybody else got there and see how it would affect him. So he's going back to the place of his dad's death. You know, he was right there behind it when it, you know, all around it when it happened. So we went back to, we rented a house and we went and we drank and we had fun and Hootie and the Blowfish showed up and they came and hung out with us and Darius and those guys are so great. But a couple afternoons in a row, we get in a truck, his, his black Suburban, and we'd go to the racetrack, and we'd park on pit road, and he would take off, and he'd walk to turn four. He did it two nights in a row. He'd walk down, and kind of like he was making peace with the track himself. Hmm. And then by the time the race came around, which is probably the most famous race, one of the most famous races we have now in NASCAR history, when Dale Jr. won that race mm-hmm. in the baseball car, mm-hmm. that whole week leading up to it, people didn't get to see that part of him trying to get mentally ready for that race. It was a big turning point in our sport, and I think that's when it kind of it turned on him knowing that whether I'm ready for this or not, the sport is now on my shoulders. Yeah, that I mean to to put into perspective, I guess how how big he was is I, I've there are very few, I guess moments that happen that you just remember where you were. I'm not a big NASCAR guy; I just didn't grow up watching. I watch baseball, a lot of other sports. I mean, I'm familiar very, but. I remember I had a, I was working at Sears, my, my first job, and I was in the break room. And for whatever reason, that race was on TV. And I, I remember when it happened. And I still, I'll just, there maybe five things I remember where I was at. I was spotting for Elliot that day mm-hmm. on the backstretch because at Daytona, the track is so big, you need a spotter, a front stretch, and backstretch. So I guess I had raced on Saturday. I was I running was, for the Wood Brothers at the and time. And he was driving a 21 for the Wood Brothers. I was spotting on the back. And they came by, you know, and once Elliot came by for the last lap, I started going down because there's always a big race to get to the airport as soon as possible. Because if you if you drag and get into the airport, you could be 50 planes in front of you. You sit there and burn fuel, you know, trying to get out of the place. So we always hurried up to get back. So I, as soon as Elliot came by for the checker flag, I went and then just ran to the airport. And Elliot, same thing. They all came. You still had your uniform on. Mm come and get in the plane and we buckled up and took off and we never knew we we knew there was a wreck but nobody ever and we didn't know it because back in those days on the plane there was no serious radio Mm -hmm. or nothing on the plane and we landed back in emporia and i remember just like you're saying like yesterday we got off the plane and my mom and dad and missy and somebody else was at the airport and when we got there they had been crying you could tell and my sister had too and we just we were taxiing up, and we were like, "What are they doing here?" Because all our cars were there, and all that. It was just 
unusual for them to meet us. And I just remember getting off the plane and seeing them, and they told us that we were like, you know, we just we just like floored. We didn't. So I'll, didn't I'll tell you, in case you got some, I'll tell you two really cool Dale Earnhardt stories. So one, when he was living, going along, um, there was a double-wide trailer down the road from his shop that a old man and, and woman lived in, and the, 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 the man had a stroke, and he lost use of his legs, so everything now was in a, in a wheelchair. And Dale was driving by one day, going back to his shop, and the woman was trying to push the man in the rock driveway. So they say, like, two days later, a paving company shows up, paves the driveway, puts in a brand-new ramp to the front of the house, and had a construction guy there to say, what else do we need to make, do anything to the house? And they're like, you know, who are you with? Who is that? No recognition. They didn't need to know. Of course, they found out years later, but he did not want that recognition for that. But just him driving by and seeing what was happening and took care of that whole house for that family. And then in 1999, and Dale Jarrett loves telling this story, 1999, Dale Jarrett wins the Winston Cup Championship. And he thought it would be cool to fly his crew members to New York. People didn't do that at that time. Usually the driver went and the wife and the owner. Dale Jarrett's like, you know what? I'm going to take my crew. They helped me get here. That's to the banquet. Kind of, to the banquet. Yeah. To the banquet in New York, the Waldorf, to celebrate. Well, the only person at that time that had a plane big enough to fly him was Dale Earnhardt. He had a Brazilian, Brazilian plane that held like 40 people. So Dale calls Dale Earnhardt and says, look, man, can I rent your plane, blah, blah, blah. And Dale's like, sure, rent it. I'll have the pilots ready, blah, blah, blah. So Dale Jarrett uses Dale Earnhardt's plane. He flies his whole crew up to New York. They have the banquet, the whole nine yards. When they get back from the banquet, uh, Dale's like, just send me a bill. I say, no problem. I'll send you a bill, what it costs, blah, blah, blah. So he sent him a bill, and it had, um, you know, congratulations, job well done, bill zero. Like a, cha- you know, congratulations, champ. So little, that was him off the track. He was the intimidator on it, but that's the way he treated everybody off the track. Just a great, great man. Just neat stuff. Man, it's, it's great to hear stories uh, like that. You know, I didn't know much about uh, Earnhardt, but uh, I know um, this is just kind of random. I was flipping through the channels and you were racing. And I remember you in a bad wreck one time. Oh, well, yeah. And right into the wall. And, Pocono, uh, Pocono. Yeah. I didn't text Hermie, but I was like, "Damn, that doesn't look good." And uh, I think you came out yep. pretty decent we, we for good. how bad it looked. Yeah, so that knocked a, the motor out of the car. Yeah, I hit. So it, that was the second hardest G hit in uh, NASCAR history. Um, it was eighty-two Gs, is what I pulled when I hit the wall. What's crazy about that wreck? The day before, so that was the first ever race my son Wyatt ever came to. He was a couple months old. The day before I won the inaugural truck race at Pocono, which was one of the biggest races of my career because it actually kick-started and gave me a second chance with Kevin Harvick. So the day before, I sat on the pole and won the truck race. So me and my new wife are there with us, my brand-new son, Wyatt, and he's a couple months old. We set him in the trophy and took all these pictures. We're having a great weekend. The next day... I get wrecked. I hit the wall. It knocks the motor out. It knocks me kind of down. I have to go to the infield care center where my wife is there with my son stuck in the bus. 
So um, Matt Kenseth's wife, Katie, comes to my bus. She knew my wife was there, their friends, and said, look, go check on Elliot in the Enfield Care Center. We'll watch Wyatt. So Matt Kenseth's wife and actually Greg Biffle's wife at the time stayed in my bus watching Wyatt so my wife could come check on me at the Enfield Care Center. So that just shows the kind of camaraderie we had. But it's just funny how one day everything's going the right way, and the next day it's like, man, this almost ended quickly. Were you at the race? I was. Actually, We, I was there and went back to the bus because I saw it too and immediately thought the worst. Uh-huh. And so – but uh, we used, you maybe stayed in the care center maybe an hour. We ended up driving – They. You had to do some follow-up stuff, I think, after that later on. But we ended up driving back to the plane, and we, we flew home that night. Um, we just got our earnings for the golf. Yeah, we just got our earnings for the golf tournament. Yeah, guys, breaking news. Should, should uh, we breaking just invest, news. invest this wisely? Or, yeah. I mean, is it uh, – <laughs> How long is it going to take me to spend this second money? Second place. I mean – There you go. <laughs> Thank you Second – look. Second place. Second. F- We're not going to talk about what flight. Well, the the second flight. We tied for first. We tied for first. And we lost the match score call. We wow. lost the match score call. Told y'all we had to birdie 18. Yeah. Uh, guys, guys, we uh, big time. I mean, there was what? What do you think? There was I think there was 108 teams in the tournament. It was 108. That was just in the morning. Yeah. 314 teams. We tied for first. Match score cards. Yep. Came home second. I think there actually is. But three said 314, right? I think 314. 314. I think that's number of people that have ever been to South Hill. But <laughs> it it's is. a beautiful they place. They started playing here on Tuesday. We, we just, started, we just <laughs> yeah. got to it today. I mean, we just – yeah. I mean, dude, this this was so much fun. I could, I think we could do this forever. Yeah. Uh, we've learned a lot about our podcast on this, I think. Because uh, for those of you that don't know, Herm is a media just tycoon. This guy's uh, wrestling. Yeah, I think tycoon is the oh. word. Uh, we don't big words really get us tripped up. You really here. messed him up with that. So, so we just use the word. We got to Google. We got to Google that. <laughs> we use the words sometimes. We ain't quite sure if they they really work or not. But um, but guys, we've had a lot of technical issues, and then Herm is just like bang. You can tell you this guy works for the media, and you can tell maybe I'm not the worst uh, technician he's ever dealt with before. Uh, Anything else that you want to touch on before? Because we, man, we 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 really appreciate the time yeah, and man. everything. This is really really awesome. It's for been us. fun. This is when you make your best stuff when you sit down with no notes, no plan, just just talk. But I know, you know, I've enjoyed. You said it, you know, Tyler too. I've enjoyed getting to know you, uh, sleep, you know, over the last, you know, couple of years. And of course, Elliot and I both, you know, mm-hmm. grew up, you know, um, Tar Heel fans. And so to to watch everything Tyler accomplished, you know, in Chapel Hill didn't become friends and then have a mutual respect for what we do mm-hmm. you know nascar and tv and ellie and all that it's just great it's really you know a different type of it but the tar heel family thing you know is really alive and well not only in sports in carolina but you know outside of that and uh, we hope to have more opportunities like this to hang out and do things and um you know a lot to have a lot of fun you know down the road we look forward to that yeah, thank you guys. And I always say, man, the Saddlers are great people. And it's been great getting to know you guys. Uh, very genuine. And uh, you do a lot for the community as well. And you can tell, you know, with you coaching the kids and you 
you know, uh, suing the governor and trying to fight. <laughs> trying to fight. Honestly, you're trying to fight oh, for yeah. the people. We if someone came people, to my you... small town, some big comp- company, and tried to put everybody down, I would be pissed just like you. Yeah. No, and, uh, I, so, I, I didn't mean I, I laughed because we, we you said, said it. it. In fact, what you were trying to say is I'm doing something for the community by suing the governor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate and, that. And uh, you, you can do that. And you even took the time to actually, when I started talking to you about it, you actually went online and Googled and – and got some information about it. And so yeah. it's not, look, suing is not our style. That's not how we no. do things. But, you know, sometimes you when you feel so strongly about something and it's, it's, it involves your family and your employees and their families and their kids, sometimes you've got to, you've got to, you know, stand up and fight. Well, so you've been in this community a hell of a lot longer than anybody. Yeah. And uh, so you know what's best for, yeah. you know, people around here, but everyone. I certainly know better than the governor. Yeah, I, sure. I agree. I, I don't like the governor <laughs> either. Uh, one last thing, uh, and I always ask, anytime we have somebody, uh, you know, you guys are important and you've you know had a lot of success, is there any, you know, um, you know, any message that you, any advice you want to give to young kids or older people, um, that you just shared that you think along your life has really helped you? Well, yeah, I, I just give it all you got. So, and I think we learned a lot of that from our dad. And whether it's in small businesses trying to survive or whether it's kids playing sport or whether you're in the school, is give it all you got. I Man, put your best foot forward. And um, you got to believe in yourself. You know, you've got to have self-esteem. You've got to believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, sure as hell nobody else is either. So we, I really try to preach that with my kids all the time. You've got to believe it. You've got to, you've got to be wired different. You've got to turn it on. You have got to believe in yourself to make it. Uh, this, this world is getting tougher by the minute. Um, nobody's going to really hand you anything. If you want to go ahead and make some of yourself, you've got to believe in it. And you've got to, you've got to challenge and, and fight and follow that dream as much as you can. And that's what I tell all my kids. You know, if I had something to say, it's along those same lines, but it's, it's, I finally came to peace with being able to say this, but there were opportunities that I had in my lifetime in race on race teams, on the racetrack that I didn't get as much out of it as I should have. I didn't have the focus and the put the time in. We mentioned earlier putting the work in, you know, I, I look back now and said, man, I should have done a lot more with that opportunity that I had. And I should have put more time in done. So my message to, to people, you never know when an opportunity is going to come your way. So I would piggyback off what Elliot said and, and say, when you have an opportunity to do something, especially do something that you love, you got to make sure that your mind and your heart is in the right place to take advantage of it because it hurts me more today because I can't go back. I can't be 25 anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I look back now and say, you know what? Because I was selfish back in those days probably a lot of times for the wrong reasons. I look back now and I said, you know, I had a crew chief and said mate, 10 crew members and wife and kid. The, the things that mean more to me now, family and things, didn't mean as much to me back then. And I didn't really realize by me not maybe doing everything I was supposed to do all the time that I was hurting other people and their livelihood and things. And so, uh, you know, I say, don't don't be like me in that regard to, to be able to ever go back. You know, you're not always going to succeed. But don't ever put yourself where 5, 10, 15 years down the road, you can look back and say, you know what? I could have done a little bit more than I did, and I regret that. And I don't want other people to, to regret that as well. Well, you're both good men, and uh, and we really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you're talking to a guy that spent eight years in undergrad, and believe it or not, I'm not a doctor, so I can relate <laughs> to you on, on, uh, on that regard. 
but uh, but no, nah, it's been really, really fun being here. Thanks to the people that put the tournament on. Thanks to South Hill. Thanks to you guys. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if anybody needs some damn ice, there's plenty of it in here <laughs> in the bunker. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that, that I think is very fitting, given the NASCAR, just the freewheeling, free spirit thing we always end with, uh, it's a Fauci-approved saying. I know you guys love this, but yeah. uh, stay safe. Stay safe.